Blog Talk Radio. There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an Asian, see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. They ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black because you don't, blacks don't have any businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Blacks won't practice group economics. Blacks won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourself up. I told that five-story building. You set yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economics. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control business and industry, and put that pools in your money. And hold that money. And, it's a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces 12 or 13 times for at least. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money on the first floor, you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them to get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician with your money, then you go to the third floor. The third floor is then is the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police department. Then the fourth floor, the fourth floor then is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries <clears throat> and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35 thousandths of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75, 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You don't. You got about one black TV station. And you, so you can't communicate with your people. You can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad-mouthing you and O'Reilly. They can talk, call black folk all kind of names all day long. What are you going to do? You can't respond. You can't even communicate with your own people because you, you don't have an economic base. 51% of all the prisons in the United States are black people. You know, you know you only make up 12% of the population. That's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate them. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to them when they, when they, when they over-incarcerate you? You're going to go out and have a march, a demonstration. We're going to march. March for what? Who cares? Marching never changed anything. All right, it's time for another installment of Vic's My House. And... Oh, we got a bit of a technical difficulty this morning. So we got to use two computers. Um, anyway, today's podcast, sort of a short one. Um, we're... Um, Going to talk about Earth, our school, which is uh, named Earth Wealth Energy Academy. 
uh, where we we basically teach by performance. Oh, here we go. Okay, yeah, I had to use two computers here this morning. Um, yeah, name of our school is Earth Wealth Energy Academy. P A R G C A D E M Y Academy, uh, where we will be teaching uh, using uh, what do you call it? Performance based performance based learning. Performance based learning out in the real world. And um, so just as a side note, um, we had Judge Joe Brown on last Thursday, I believe. Judge Joe Brown of TV fame, still on TV, on Bounce TV, Infinity, XM. I mean, uh, yeah, Infinity, yeah, I think that's XM. He's on that live. Um, but I think we're going to have him in at least once a month. So he gave us two hours of a live stream last week. It was an epic program as uh, uh, Robin Maven, our producer for that program, stated it, it was epic. So we're going to have him on at least once a month. And. Um, we're in the early, early, early stages of setting up um, a speaking engagement. We're actually tour, um, so we'll let you know more on that. Um, let's see. All right, so yeah, today, um, all right, name of our school is Earth. Well, two schools, really in one: Jake Rector Energy Academy and Earth Wealth Energy. Um, well, Jake Rector Energy Academy and Earth Wealth Energy Academy. Um, we have an aerial view as well as um, what do you call it? An aerial view as well as um, oh, a ground view. Um, if you go to Facebook, I can tell you directly myself. If you go to Facebook and uh, Let's see. You go to Earth Wealth Energy Village. We were going by the name Podcasters Biosolar Village, but that name has been changed to Earth Wealth. Um, Energy Village. Oh, man. Okay. I've got to put up. I thought I swear. Anyway, if you go to Earth Wealth Energy Village on Facebook, that's our page. Right at the, the top picture that you see, the big picture, that will be, um, what do you call it? That's the uh, aerial view, uh, particularly if you tap on it. And I've got to, I got to upload, hold on, I got to upload a new picture because all right, on it, it still has podcasts by Solar Village, and I thought I uploaded a new picture. exact same picture, but just different name. So podcasts by Solar Village, that's it. Let me see if I can correct this now. Uh, okay, how can I do this? Well, i tell you what. Anyway, go to that page. Oh, let me find something. Um, 
Live stream number 619-768-2945. Go to Earthwealth Energy Village on Facebook. will be Facebook. And you'll be able to see uh, aerial view as well as, um, let's see. I think I got the on the ground, ground view pictures as well. If not, uh, I'm going to load them up. Uh, I might have that on the other phone. All right, well, I'll tell you what. Let's, uh, what do we have here? And the audio, man, ugh, I wish I had. All right, for those who missed the Joe Brown live stream, if you go to Blog Talk Radio and look for a conversation with Joe Brown, um, you can, they, you know, you can play it on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, you can play that back on there. So like, it's a two-hour, two-hour live stream. He was dropping a lot of jewels. Uh, into that uh, convo. Let me see. What can um, got a whole bunch of new stuff here, but anyway, I, I tell you what. At Earthwealth Energy Academy, uh, we're going to. Well, you know what? A lot of the audios we're going to actually convert those into. Workshops, hands-on. So here's one of them, Shed the Tiny House. This is one of our good Hey there, welcome to another video, Tiny Revolution. Um, I am here today in a 16-foot by 16-foot tough shed prefab building because I want to answer a question that so many people ask. Can you turn a prefab structure like a shed or a garage or something of that nature that you get at your local uh, Home Depot or Lowe's or Menards and make it a tiny house? And I'm here to say, yes, you can. It requires a little bit of work, but not so much that you can't make it happen. All right, so here I am standing downstairs because I want to point out some, uh, some structural things. Now, you'll notice that I'm leaning against just a standard 2x4, a framing 2x4. Not a problem. These are 16 inches on center, which means your insulation batting is going to go very nicely in that cavity. I know it's 16 inches on center, not just because I measured it, because it's actually stands 16OC, 16 on center. Now, you'll also notice that there's the LT logo, so that means that this is LT smart side that was used to create this tough shed. As I'm looking up here, you'll notice that there are just standard tuba tins right here supporting the upstairs, acting also as the ceiling joists, which will be great because then we'll be able to attach our sheetrock directly to them. Uh, I've, same thing over here. Now, we do have that double door, but that's framed up, so you can put a standard door kit in there, not a problem. I do want to point out one thing, though, and that's right here in the corner. Because these walls are prefab, meaning they were built on the ground probably and just stood up, they, they need to have either a nailing strip or they need to have another two before added in there so you've actually got a nice corner stud system so that your, uh, so that your sheetrock will uh, attach nicely to the wall and give you a good solid foundation. But I'm looking around and I'm thinking to myself, this could be a bathroom, this could be a little closet, this could be a living room. It really does work, especially if it's just two people or it's one person or you want to use it for a tiny house retreat. 
Now, I'm in another corner because I'm thinking that this could be a really nice corner for maybe a stackable washer and dryer, or it could be a kitchenette or something like that, and that brings up probably the most important point when you're dealing with how do you turn a prefab into a tiny house. And that is, there is no rough electrical and there is no rough plumbing. So you've got to do all of that work yourself or you've got to have a subcontractor or a contractor that can come out and do it. That's going to require a number of different decisions in terms of what your power supply is going to be, uh, how many appliances you're going to have, uh, what kind of water situation you're going to have, what kind of septic situation. So that's probably the two hardest things about converting this. But if you're living off-grid, you've got a lot of options that may make it extremely easy. But I just want you to remember that just because it's prefab doesn't mean that it's pre-lit and pre-plumbed. So let's head upstairs and see what we have up there. All right, so here I am upstairs of that 16 by 16 unit. And one of the things you'll notice is that there's two windows and two windows only. There's one in the front and there's one in the back. Now these are directly in the center, so one of the things they do is, well, you can see that it's framed in that way too with your king set and your cripple. So it would be a bit difficult, though not impossible, to add some other windows or to enlarge the window. This would probably be the, uh, the bedroom space. But let's look at a little bit of the framing here. If you want to follow me up here, what you'll see is, uh, you'll see that our trusses are actually um, 24 inches apart, and they're man-made gussets, which are uh, just made out of half-inch plywood and then nailed in. So one of the things you may want to do is get some, uh, get some metal gussets that you can use, some types of strapping, like hurricane gussets or something like that, um, although these do fall into IRC building code, so you're safe there. The other thing you'll notice is uh, this is 24 inches in between uh, joist and joist. So you can get batting that will fit right in there to give you good insulation. Once you look up top, and you'll see also that there's a wind shear on every other truss. That's to keep the building from spreading out if there's a storm or something like that. So that's the upstairs. It's actually a really nice space, a really good large space that you can uh, turn into a nice bedroom. So definitely, uh, definitely something to work with here. Now before I left, I saw one thing, so I'm over here kind of in the dark corner, if you will. I noticed that the framework for the walls actually sticks out beyond where you would need it to if you were going to put sheetrock. So what you'd end up doing is having to construct, maybe using a one before, some sort of nailer strip like that. That way you can put the sheetrock running across your ceiling. You can see how we've covered up that extension and then giving us some more to where we can actually get a bite to it with our drywall screws. The other thing that I'm looking at right now is thinking if I'm going to put sheetrock on the ceiling, I'm going to have to uh, put a wind shear on each one of these uh, trusses. That way I have something to actually nail to. So there is quite a bit more work here than I had first expected, but as I said earlier, definitely doable. Alright, so there you have it. Yes, you can turn a prefab into a tiny house, so long as you know there's a little bit of work that you do have to put in it. So we're looking at that 16 width by 16 length, it's model TBD-800. Now you'll notice that as shown it's $10,869. So what you're ending up with is about $40 to $41 per square foot. I estimate that with another seven dollars to $8,000 and a little bit of elbow grease, 
you'll have this looking good in no time. So hey, thanks for joining us for another video. Remember, if you liked us, give us a thumbs up. And while you're here, you might as well subscribe to Tiny Revolution.
But first tonight, demonstrators lead the call to boycott Starbucks days after the controversial arrest of two black men inside the Rittenhouse Square coffee shop. If white immigrants can come to this country 50 years ago with nickels and dimes and no education and come here and pool their little nickels and dimes and no education into, with, and set up little stores, develop these stores into larger stores, develop this into an industry which creates job opportunities for whites. Since Lincoln was supposed to have freed the black man 100 years ago, and today the black man, according to the government economist, has spending power of $20 billion per year. We feel that with the black man spending $20 billion a year, not setting up any businesses, not creating any industry, not creating any job opportunities for his own kind, he's not in a moral position to point the finger today at the white man and tell the white man that he's discriminating against him for not giving him a job in factories that he, has, he himself set up. If the black man has $20 billion, and these so-called Negro leaders are such geniuses that they can integrate white restaurants and integrate white factories and integrate, force themselves into that which the white man has set up, they should use this same ingenuity to show the black people how to pool our wealth and set up something of our own. And then we won't have to force our way into his anymore. One more thing I would like to point out concerning what he said about 125th Street. We don't waste our time on 125th Street, but you can reach more people in the street who want to change than you can in the bourgeoisie society, the bourgeoisie church, and the bourgeoisie circles. We, our program is directed toward the man in the street. So we spend our time in the street, and what we do with that man, instead of trying to change the white man in your mind and make, make you accept us, we change the mind of the black man and make him accept himself. And as soon as he accepts himself, He'll solve his own problem. He won't be trying to force himself into your factory and into your bedroom and into your kitchen. Before I get started with this video, I just want to personally thank the brother Fred Hassan Powell of the Morale Facebook page for sharing this social political cartoon, which is currently displayed in this video. I always big up brothers who are artists like him, my man Will James, Alex K. Art, Chris Miller and others because their pictures speak volumes. They don't have to say one word because as they say, a picture is worth a thousand words. In fact, I want y'all to take a good look at this picture, which shows a brother with his hat flipped to the back telling the bald-headed brother that he's hungry as fuck. When the brother attempts to hand him his own fishing rod so he can get some fish on his own, he gets verbally assaulted. No, nigga, I want some fish. Fuck out of here with that cool shit. Man, if you look closer, you'll see that the brother that says he's hungry got a fresh pair of Jordans on his feet. And once again, I want to thank you, Fred, for sharing that photo because it is a perfect warm-up for what I'm getting ready to bring up next. Look, last week, I had to stop past a gas station, and when I went in, I took a quick glance over to the newsstand, and I saw the Washington Post. The first thing that caught my eye was something that you normally don't see on the cover of a newspaper, which was a few straggling pants sagging brothers sitting on a stoop of a building outside. I didn't have the time to read the paper in the gas station because I had to fly, but I checked the article online when I got home, and I was just flabbergasted. 
I want you all to check it out for yourself in the description box. It is the December 9th edition of the Washington Post. And the front cover story is a look back at the riots which took place in Baltimore this past April following the death of Freddie Gray. The Post took the time to interview a few of the residents and get their personal take on how things have been and has any positive change comes to the streets of Baltimore after the riots. And one of the brothers that they interviewed was a young man that was out there on the streets peddling drugs from time to time, and he stated that he ended up finding out shortly after the riots that there were a few storefront apartments that were up for sale and that they were only selling for just $5,000 a piece. He then said that when he ran the idea of getting together and investing in the neighborhood past several brothers that he was out there selling drugs with on the streets, all of them told him no. And see, this goes to what brothers like myself, Sean James, and many others who are right here on YouTube have been telling y'all about this modern Negro. Okay? This Baltimore brother that was interviewed by the Washington Post had a great idea and the right frame of mind to purchase this storefront property while the price is extremely low. But the rest of the Negroes that are around him ended up dragging him into the quagmire of apathy that surrounds the Negro landscape. Dear dude, see that picture in your face, here, dude. Your ass. That bitch scared, nigga. Oh, oh. Beat our motherfucking ass. She feel like you a motherfucking nigga. Beat our motherfucking ass. That nigga can't. That nigga hurt himself. Right, so you from New State. Oh, Capitalism 
It is a game of economic musical chairs. I just gave you the analogy when I mentioned all the foreign families that own all the storefronts, strip malls, and rental properties. Who is the only one who is left standing up with no businesses or property to speak of when the music is done playing and the cops roll through the neighborhood? That's us yapping back and forth when the music stops and they tell our loitering asses to get moving or catch a bruising. That's us walking around with sagging pants and glow-in-the-dark fluorescent color wigs like this sister that you see right here tossing rocks during the riot last April. Now, she's throwing rocks and expressing her anger and frustration, but she has a fresh weave on top of her head, which helped pay some of the officers that broke Freddie Gray's back. So who is the sellout and coon, black folks? And think about it. If you own some of those storefronts and control the flow of unlaundered, legitimate-made currency that comes through those areas, you can do your illegal dirt all day long without that much harassment from the local authorities. You might draw attention from a few alphabet gang organizations like the DEA, FBI, and others, but the local guys aren't going to pay that much attention because you're helping them pay bills and you're putting food in their stomach. And since I brought up the subject of illegal activity, and you pan-sagging clowns love to talk about how gangster you are, why don't you do what some of the Irish, Italian, Jewish, and Polish immigrants your dumbass keeps trying to emulate did by legitimizing some of your hustles and using the same police force that chases you around the neighborhood as a shield? See, most Negroes will try to tell you that we are always at the end of a nightstick, a baton, or getting showered with bullets just because we are black. But ask yourself a question. Why aren't that many Ethiopians and West Africans getting mollywopped and punished to the extent that many so-called African Americans are in the U.S.? Remember, they're just as black and sometimes way darker than us. But why are there fewer cases? of them being brutalized and killed by the police, like we saw with Amadou Diallo or Abner Louima, both of which took place in New York. Why so few cases compared to us so-called Afro-Americans? It's because they're smart enough to own businesses, restaurants, furniture stores, parking lots, etc., and pay the cops to look the other way so their fellow countrymen aren't harmed in any way. That's the logical thing to do. But you can't tell this Negro from America that because you're still living off the backwards principle and creed of entitlement, which these liberals drafted up for us long ago. Instead of assessing this situation from a global perspective and seeing that everyone else seems to be purchasing everything around us so they can live comfortable lives and keep us at a position of marginalization as opposed to putting themselves in that boat, the Negro man and woman in the U.S. will counter it by saying, See, I object because my tax dollars pay for the police not to harass me. No, they don't, you imbecile. Especially after Uncle Sam rapes their paycheck just like he rapes everybody else's. Now, your pro-whack movement pseudo-black nationalist leaders will call me a coon for telling you this, but this is something that they know firsthand. They also know that you more than likely won't view this phenomenon from all angles because you're still under the influence of the can't-we-all-just-get-along flavor Kool-Aid most black folks drank after the post-civil rights movement era, thinking that all the bigotry-enhanced physical assaults and beatdowns we took during chattel slavery and Jim Crow had an exclusive cutoff date to them. 
which is why every single year one of these highly publicized police brutality incidents takes place. There's some dumb Negro that says, I don't believe that in 2087 this is still happening to black people. Yeah, it is. And it's going to keep on happening in 2088 if you don't adopt a different way of thinking, dummy. Your pseudo-black nationalists won't tell you that you are mostly to blame for this continually happening because they want you to keep feeling sorry for yourself and attend more lectures and debates where they argue over whether or not a woman is God or which master teacher's philosophy is better to follow. But I'm here to tell you right now, black folks, that we don't need to attend a gazillion seminars travel with a million other jugheads to commemorate the anniversary of a march that never led to mass black improvement, or study the teachings of some philosophical doctor with 10 degrees to find a solution to our problem. This brilliant brother from Baltimore that was interviewed in the December 9th edition of the Washington Post, who more than likely didn't even finish high school, just gave us the answer. And if you're wondering why I titled this thing Ballin' on Baltic Avenue, I did so as a way of saluting one of my grandfathers. See, long ago when I was a very little boy, he taught me how to play Monopoly. I was about seven years old, and I was all geeked up racing around the board to buy Boardwalk and Park Place. And he said, go right on ahead. He let me do it and said, I'll just buy a Baltic, Mediterranean, Oriental, and all these other properties that you aren't even thinking about. So as the game went on, and I only owned Boardwalk, Park Place, and Pacific, I think, he had all the other properties, the railroads, the waterworks, the electric company, and a whole bunch of hotels and houses on all of them while I was looking silly. And I ended up having to sell what I owned and wait for that $200 paycheck once I passed go. Once it finally set in, that I lost the game, he chuckled and told me, son, you got to own what's in the ghetto before you walk around the block. And that lesson that my grandfather Dave, rest his soul, taught me still applies to this very day. Ownership is a universal language, no matter what culture or ethnicity you come from, because it regulates the sort of relationship you're going to have with most of the people around you.
My name is Mike. I was homeless. I needed a job. Uh, my homegirl gave me a phone number to reentry TV. I called the number. Now I have a job and a place to stay. Reentry TV, real life, real solution. Reentry TV is real. 
Reentry TV is a television program for ex-offenders who want to re-enter into society. So come out and be a part of our live studio audience. Or you can always watch us on Channel 17 every Monday night at 6 p.m. If you need more information, just call 281-445-6141 for real life. Real solution. Reentry TV. Tune in this Monday night, November 29th at 6 p.m. for a powerful show featuring CEO and founder, Ms. Marilyn Gambrell of No More Victims, an advocacy agency for newborns and children of incarcerated parents. For real life, real solutions. Everything with your apartment application has been approved. Mr. Felony Man. Oh, I apologize, Mr. Higgins. Your apartment has been denied due to your felony. Reentry TV can get Mr. Felony off your back. For more information, call 281-445-6141. For real life, real solutions, Reentry TV. Hi, folks. In this video... I'd like to talk about how to have a home with no house payments and no monthly utility bills. You may think that's not possible, but I do it, and lots of other people do it as well. I'm going to show you how it can be done, how it can be done very inexpensively, and just kind of a, give you some ideas for things that you can do that uh, society and uh, the economic powers that be don't want you to know. So stay with me for a second, and let me walk you through this. First you need some land. This is my piece of land which is under an acre, about three-fourths of an acre, and that's really all you need to take care of most of the needs you have and for running a small homestead. Now I was lucky enough to get this piece of property uh, from family. It was uh, willed to me when my father passed away. But I have also purchased small pieces of property like this for under $400. I have an acre down in uh, Arizona, near Sholo, Arizona, that I purchased for under $400. I have five acres near El Paso, Texas, that I purchased for under $700. So it's very easy to find a piece of land if you do some looking around. eBay is a good source for finding land. Tax sales are a good source for finding land. Uh, family members may want to sell off a piece of land. Go around looking in rural areas and maybe you'll find a farmer that wants to split off a small piece of land and would gladly sell you one. You don't have to spend a lot of money on land. Okay, This is land that doesn't have utilities run to it. Uh, it doesn't have a blacktop road that runs into it or driveway. It's rough land. That's what you start with usually if you want to buy a small piece of land that you're going to homestead on. After you have your piece of land, then you're going to have to have a house. You can have a big house like most people live in, and you can pay a lot of money for it and have a mortgage and be a slave to the system for another 30 years, or you can decide if you'd like to build a smaller house like mine. Paid for with cash. This is my solar cabin. The cabin cost me $2,000 to build. 
That does not include the doors and windows which I salvaged off of a trailer that was being torn down. For the cabin, it cost me $2,000. It is 14 by 14. Downstairs is living area, dining area, bathroom, kitchen. Upstairs, I have a loft bedroom and an office. In my other videos, I take you on a complete walkthrough of this cabin, so watch those if you want to see how the cabin is uh, as large as it is and functional on the inside. Up there on my roof, you see my solar panels. That's a 350 watt solar system that provides all of my electricity needs for lights, TVs, water pumps, all miscellaneous gadget, laptop TV, run my vacuum, and everything else off of a 350 watt system. That 350 watt system cost me under $3,000. $2,000 for the cabin, $3,000 for the power system of solar electricity, and I use propane. I have a propane tank in the back of the cabin, and I have a propane furnace, fridge, stove, and on-demand water heater, and those cost me just about $200 for an entire year. And we have cold winters here, folks. Under $200 for an entire year for all of my propane. That is the only utility bill I have. I do not pay for electricity. I do not pay for water because I drilled my own water well. Before I drilled my own water well, though, I hauled water in. But drilling a water well on a piece of property is not that hard. You can either do it yourself or hire somebody to do it. So I have no monthly utility bills. I have a house that's completely paid for. And I have freedom. A freedom that you can't get when you're under the pressure of a mortgage and utility bills. I want you to take just a minute and think about what you could do with your life if you had no house payments and no utility bills. And I'm telling you, it is completely possible. I'm not going to go into any details of how to get out of the house that you're in. You're going to have to figure that out and talk to some professionals for some help that way. All I'm here to do is tell you it's completely possible. Now, some of you are looking at the cabin and saying, yeah, but I couldn't possibly live in anything that small. This cabin was designed specifically for additions to be built on any of three sides. As you can see, the cabin has no windows on any of the three sides. There is a window in the back door glass. The sides are 14 by 14. The cabin was built to have uh, shed additions built on all three sides. This cabin is 400 square feet approximately inside with 200 square foot footprint. When you add on additions, you could add on an additional 400 square feet on either side and off the back, giving you anywhere from 800 to 1,200 square feet. The great thing about building a small cabin to start out with, though, is it gives you a place to live when you build on your additions. And that way you can wait and live very cheaply without any house payments or utility bills. And then when you have the money, you can build on the additions to expand the cabin. That's very good for a single person or a young couple who don't have children because you don't need a whole lot of space to start off with. This way you can save for it, build on as you want to, have the additions, uh, have the extra room if that's what you want. Now I live full time in this cabin. I live by myself, but my girlfriend comes up here on the weekends and we stay together. And let me tell you, it's perfectly comfortable. We don't feel cramped at all. And we, we'd much rather have a small place like this. It takes a lot less money to heat. It takes a lot less money to cool. It's a lot easier to clean. Uh, it's just a, a fantastic home. Now, I'm not trying to push you into building a home exactly like mine. I'm just trying to provide you with some ideas. If you wanted to come up with different ideas, a different plan, that's, that's just fine by me. 
But if you are interested in learning how to build a home like mine, I do have an ebook available and a printed book available called Simple Solar Homesteading. Go to www.simplesolarhomesteading.com. You can learn how to build a cabin like mine or at least get some great ideas for building your own home. Now I want to repeat, I own my land. I have a house that I built for under $2,000. I have a solar electric system that I have for under $3,000. I use propane, which costs me under $200 a year. I have no house payments. I have no utility bills. If you want a life like this, it is very possible. You can stop listening to the media, and you can stop being put under society's pressures to live in the type of houses that everyone tells you you have to live in. You can live very inexpensively, and you can do this at an age, at any age, whether you're older or younger. If you're younger and you start in a place like this, imagine the amount of money that you would have to retire on with no house payments, no utility bills, and freedom. Thank you for joining me, folks. Please watch the rest of my videos for more detailed information on each of the systems and a complete walkthrough of the cabin. People who live in towns and cities in Uganda and many other African countries have some access to grid electricity to light their homes and power their businesses. But many rural people aren't connected at all. But simply waiting for the grid to arrive isn't good enough for entrepreneurs like Moses Akera. He recognizes there's a good business to be made harnessing the power of the sun. I really prefer solar to be used in the community like this because it remains the property of the clients. You don't pay bills and you don't buy fuel like somebody using generator. So solar energy is the best option for many rural Ugandans. But being new to the industry, many solar retailers like Moses were struggling to make their businesses a success. We don't have capacity uh, to advertise ourselves, our products. We don't have capacity uh, to have quality technical training. So the Rural Energy Foundation, a not-for-profit organization, introduced the Solar Now program in 2007. Its aim, to spread the benefits of electricity throughout rural Africa by providing training and support to existing solar retailers like Moses. And they encourage other retailers and entrepreneurs to start selling solar equipment from scratch. Most of these retailers need to be supported in terms of training so that they can be able to run their businesses better. They also need support in terms of market awareness because so many people out here in the field do not know about solar, so we need to come and enlighten them. As well as training, the Rural Energy Foundation loans retailers portable demonstration kits, which they use to drum up business in local markets. What we're trying to do is these people are off-grid and they do not have access to electricity. So we're trying to show them how solar can improve their lives. For instance, we try to show them how they can make money from solar. For instance, here with us we have a shaver, so they can use this to have barber shops. We also show them how they can use it to use light at their homes. See, when you have this light in your house, the children can study at night. They can use it in their shops to work longer hours, and they can use it at home. If retailers want to use the Solar Now brand, they have to commit to providing high-quality installations and good after-sales service. The Rural Energy Foundation helps them achieve this 
by training solar technicians. We're trying to get the entrepreneurs to sign service contracts. So when they sell the product, they, it also comes with after-sell service. Let's say they have to check uh, to make a phone call to the customer after a certain period to check if the system is working. And then uh, till after some time through the service contract, they also have to go and actually do the inspection of the system. The Rural Energy Foundation has trained over 200 retailers in nine African countries. So far, they've sold 57,000 solar home systems and 36,000 solar lanterns. They've helped at least 400,000 people, saved nearly 5 million litres of kerosene and 12,000 tonnes of CO2 each year. Basil Okalo is impressed and has decided to buy the equipment from Moses to set up his own solar barbershop and phone charging business. He's taking advantage of a credit scheme which helps entrepreneurs buy equipment from SolarNow retailers to get their businesses going. SolarNow is giving me a loan. I'm going to make a down payment of 25% now. Uh, later, in three months' time, I'll make another 25%, making a total of 50%. Then the remaining I'll complete within a period of a year. With his system now installed, Basil is optimistic about the future because this is a new investment I'm going into. I have never been into this business before, but uh, as I see, I have the expectation that I, I'll, make me, I'll make money. Moses is growing his solar retail business too. He already had a shop in town. With support from the Rural Energy Foundation, he's now set up a small village branch to cater specifically for his rural customers. Rural Energy Foundation it's very important to us. If they help us training technicians, we shall be in position to expand all over. We hope that others will also adopt the private sector development approach. We don't want to be unique. We want to spread the word that this is a really efficient approach to get the technology diffused deeply into the rural markets. The Rural Energy Foundation plans to expand into other African countries and broaden its range of sustainable technologies. Solar panels are now becoming a common sight here on homes, and shops buy them as well to run radios and offer phone charging, increasing their income and enabling people to communicate. And to everyone's delight, the local bar has installed a fridge powered by the sun. The owner is pleased with his investment. Yeah, we have it. Of course, it's called the uh, VFS Meta. And so I get my customers. <laughs> All right, those are those audios which we've played a gazillion times already over the last couple of years. But uh, we're at the next phase now where we'll be taking something from the audios from this podcast or others, or ideas that people have and basically we'll convert those into classes. So that the Rural Energy found, and some of these classes will take place in actually in, in various locations. Um, so we'll be setting up solar barbershops, uh, things of that nature. But the first project, well, not the first project, but on, I guess, available for people to uh, participate in will take place uh, in about 
10 days or less uh, out in Taft, Oklahoma. So uh, then we'll have something going on uh, for the public. Well, you know what? We're organizing a private membership. So I can't even say public. But we're organizing a a private membership. We'll be giving details on that uh, probably by the end of the week. Um, we have a private membership and, um, I I think you'll enjoy it. Anyway, so those are some of, you know, some of the things that you can expect at Earth Wealth Energy Academy, uh, which is, uh, two schools in one because our other school is Jake Rector Energy Academy. And hold it, let me, um, I don't want to run out of time here. Let me add it. Couple more minutes on this, or a few more minutes on this. All right, good. All right, so let's go to the phone lines real quick. Three fourteen, your mic is open. Yeah, I heard you playing my favorite theme song, man. I had to call in. Uh, no, which one was that? That's Rush Limbaugh's favorite song. <laughs> Oh, my city was gone by the pretenders. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, but, that uh, he does say that. That's his intro. Uh-huh. So what's yeah, been yeah. I heard you talk about those tiny homes. You know yeah, uh we'll we'll be teaching people ba- you know, basic carpentry and setting those up. You know uh there's some uh, monolithic homes. That, you said uh, monolithic? Come, yeah, those dome homes. Oh, yeah, yeah. That comes in small sizes like that also. Well, and yeah, the thing you know is, those, those... Well, I think they sell around the $20,000 mark when they finished. But I'm not positive. Right, and then you can get some that's pre-made and just snap together, you know, along the seams and so forth. You do whatever you you have to do in order to to um, put them together. They already come at the various uh, thickness for the insulation. I think some company in Japan makes them like that, but not a company down mm-hmm. in Italy, Texas. Monolithic dome. They have some small efficiency size models, and I'm getting ready to work with a guy here in St. Louis area that uh, have acquired about 200 some odd acres of land in the city, uh-huh. which includes vacant lots and uh, condemned houses that uh, you know that's really in bad shape. I'm gonna look at his plot plan and in, in the city of St. Louis I, in the city of St. Louis I imagine it's like uh, a typical city of its size um, when it comes to zoning um, I guess it because I haven't been to St. Louis in eons but I imagine it's probably I'm just looking at the code, building code, um, something that's like a hundred and, well, 
350 square feet. They probably won't allow you to build anything like that there, will they? Unless it's an ADD uh, accessory dwelling unit. Yeah, apparently he has to run it past the uh, the, the the organization that's, that uh, make up the, you know, the citizen organization that make up that area. Right. But the houses that's there, them big old houses, man, you can't do nothing with them big old houses. Some places yeah, I, got I three know it's like floors. in um, places like Detroit, definitely Buffalo. Buffalo's got a a glut of, I mean, huge houses. Uh, about ten, fifteen years ago, some of those houses you can pick them up for like five hundred bucks. Uh, yeah, them big old houses, but, but they the they just too big. Right, too big. They're definitely not energy efficient uh, at all. And uh, to get those things up to code and to make them energy efficient, um, well, that's why I don't do Buffalo, New York no more. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I'll let you get on back to your program. I just want to throw that jab in there. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the contribution. All right. All right. All right. Well, we're going. Well, hold it. Let me see. All right, we're going to pass our time limit for today. So what we'll do is we'll play our outro music, and we'll be back tomorrow. Everyone have a good rest of the day.